Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. We're going to look at James chapter 1 tonight. James is our book of the month. Every month I pick a book and I read through it as often as I can in my study time and let God speak to me. I want you to learn. The reason why I do these Bible studies in this format, I want you to see how I study the Bible. Because I know most people don't really study the Bible. Most people don't read the Bible. According to most research firms, less than 5%, many say less than 2% of born-again believers read their Bible diligently and consistently every day, day in, day out, through the course of an entire year. And that's not good because the Scripture says that this is our food, this is our nourishment spiritually. And I know most people don't have a Bible study methodology people who do read the Bible, many times they just let it flop open. It's just the flopping point. I'll start reading here. And you have to have a method to your approach to the study of the Word of God. It's too important just to have no method to your madness. And that's why I give you uh, these, these insights, and that's why we take a book of the month. And I hope you'll read through James. James, as we look Sunday morning, has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Proverbs, we know because we read through that book every month for the whole year, and it is a collection of sayings. It's hard-hitting one-liners. It's different than most of the Bible, and that most of the Bible, as with many, uh, most of literature, is contextual. One, one verse builds on the other, which leads to the other, and you have to know chapter one to get to chapter two. Well, Proverbs is not written like that. Proverbs is just a bunch of one-liners, and you can just pull something out of Proverbs, and it stands alone. James is in, in most respects, a contextual work of literature, but it also is full of one-liner sayings. And the reason why one-liner sayings are important is because most of us have an extremely short attention span, and most of us won't, won't dig deep enough to grab hold of deep truth, but with these hard-hitting one-liners, stuff jumps out at you. If you don't hear anything I have to say tonight, I want you to hear this. Read the Bible until something jumps out at you. Don't just try to read through one, two, three, five chapters and say, oh, I read 10 chapters today, uh, or I read four chapters today. Read with understanding. Slow it down. Take it in bite-sized pieces. Read with understanding so something comes off that page that you can say, okay, I get that. That makes sense to me. I can understand that, and I can put that into action. God has not commanded us to read for reading's sake. God wants us to read so we can do. And James is a hard-hitting do guy. Most people, if they were asked to quote a verse out of James, most people would quote uh, chapter 1, verse 22, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We've got so many people claiming Christianity in the world that can talk about the Bible, but they don't do anything with the information that they've been given. And I believe people ask, what would Jesus do? That popular bracelet, that popular uh, saying years ago, what would Jesus do? I've told people for many years, Jesus would do exactly what he did because he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you want to know what Jesus would do if he was 
on Firestone in Sweetwater in 2017 on the west side of Jacksonville, what would Jesus do? He would do exactly what he did 2,000 years ago in Galilee because he never changes. And here's what Jesus did to people 2,000 years ago in Galilee that went to church, that knew what the Bible said, but they didn't put it into practice in their life. He had a very simple question for them. He said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Now, James was very much a doer guy, and we got to get to the place where we are doer people. I want to start with verse 1 and verse 2 in James chapter 1. Listen to what God said through the apostle James. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I want to talk to you tonight about the book of James. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your love, your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that guides us. I pray you be our teacher tonight as we look into your word, Father. I pray that you'd speak to us, guide us, teach us what you would have us to know. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Jumping into verse 2, we're just going to go through. I'm going to just talk you through as if I was sitting at my desk studying this out because I want you to develop some good study habits when you read the Bible. And that's why we do midweek Bible study. We've already looked at verse 1 Sunday and to who it specifically was written. We talk a lot about hermeneutics here, the art and science of properly interpreting Scripture. There are keys and principles that if you know them, you can navigate your way through Scripture more easily. There are certain principles that if you get them stuck inside your head when you read the Bible, it will begin to jump off the page at you, and you will understand it better. In verse 2, he said, dear brothers and sisters, comma, one of these keys is you've always got to pause on punctuation. Always pause on punctuation. It's there to help you understand literature better. These, these bullets, these bite-sized phrases, you have to stop and consider what's said Dear brothers and sisters, comma, that's cause for pause. And we know if the scripture says brothers and sisters, us or we, it's typically talking to who? Them and they is typically talking to who? Right. It's distracting when people, here, here's, here's what I've seen in, in the last 14 seconds. I, I saw a female pick a wedgie. I saw two people put, pick a booger. And I saw two people talking to each other constantly. And one person scratching this part of their nose. And I, I've never scratched it. I scratch here and I, but, so pray for me that I don't get distracted. Amen? Because if I get distracted from all y'all's foolishness, then we're going to be here all night long. And I, and I, I don't feel well and I, I got kids to put in bed. I want to have a fidget contest. Who thinks they could enter into the fidget contest against my children? Anybody want to go? My kids can sit still for hours on hours because they know if, if, if I'm speaking that I'm easily distracted. Pray for me. I apologize. Let's get back to it. Dear brothers and sisters, this phrase is talking to who? Christians. So if you're here and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what denominational background you choose. That's why we're a multi-denominational church. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that we're all the children of God based on our denomination. The Bible says we're all the children of God based on our faith in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection as the only payment for sins and the only means by which you can enter into heaven, then you are a brother or a sister in the gospel. 
Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, come. That doesn't make sense in modern reading. If you were to look at that in the Greek, you would see how out of place that looks in modern reading because it's a split of the verb. It's taking you in two different directions grammatically. You shouldn't stop when troubles come your way. Unless you're old school, you know, 1950s gospel preacher who is bound to only say four words at a time. And then God stood up and he walked up the mountain. Now, unless you want to talk like that, which doesn't make any sense to me, this comma would be in the wrong place. But it's not in the wrong place because it's not there to be grammatically correct. It's there to induce thought. So take this phrase on the second line on our screen, when troubles come your way, comma. I have to, when I'm studying, pause on the punctuation because that's how I teach to study. So I have to look at that and I have to think, okay, here's the phrase. It's a standalone phrase. It's offset inside punctuation. When troubles come my way, what should I glean from that? There's something that I've got to be able to pull, and I want you to learn how to pull it, so pull it out for me. <laughs> Troubles are going to come your way. See how easy that is? This is how you understand the Bible. You have to try to pull it out. See, there's two ways to interpret any text you read. One is called exegesis, and one is called eisegesis. And God wants us to exegete the text. To exegete the text is to pull out of it exactly what is in it. That's proper interpretation of Scripture. To eisegete the text is to read into it what you want it to say. And that's what the majority of preaching is. And that's why I've told you, these guys that preach, uh, take one verse out of this book and then flip over with me to this other chapter and, and turn back 19 pages, go Old Testament, New Testament, flipping 47 different verses out of 37 different chapters, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. you got to let it speak for itself, and you have to properly pull out of it what it's saying. He said, when troubles come your way, now see, in modern reading, you think, what? You didn't finish that. What do you mean when troubles come my way? The point is, troubles are going to come your way. This blows up 90% of all teaching and preaching on television. I don't watch it. Only when I'm irritated. I might flip through and watch it for a second. But all I hear is, Mail me some money, and you're going to get a bigger house. Send me some money. And listen, please, you do you, I'm going to do me. That's one of the things I love about our church, our diversity. You don't have to believe everything I believe about the Bible to serve God here. We are all in our, in our process. We are, we are all imperfect people serving a perfect God. We, we are all learning and growing. None of us have arrived. But for me, please don't send me some... Uh, Type amen and send to 32 people and a miracle's going to come your way foolishness on social media. Okay? That, that's witchcraft. That's heresy of the highest order. If you really believe that typing amen and, and, and forwarding some meme off to somebody is going to get money in your bank account, tell me when it works. Okay? That type of chain mail stuff has always been accustomed to the occult. And now it's crept. Anybody ever seen something like that in, on, on, on social media? This, this, you forward this to 30 friends, and, and before the sun rises, you, you, come on, man. That, 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 that's, not how, that's not how we get blessed. And, but that comes from this modern preaching people have on television now. Send that guy will read a, chap, uh, a verse out of chapter 
12, verse 32. If you mail me $12.32 right now, God's going to give you a 12-fold blessing. You change the channel on that guy because you know he's a liar, a con man, and a heretic because that has nothing to do with Christianity. You cannot manipulate God by mailing fools money. You can't manipulate God by forwarding memes to people on social media. You can obey God or you can disobey God. And God says, I give you a choice, a blessing or a curse. A blessing if you obey me and a curse if you don't. Okay, so this this is the word of the Lord. He said, when troubles come your way, I don't hear about that on TV preaching. All I hear about is health, wealth, prosperity, blessing, bigger cars, house on a mansion, life of ease. When I know that my Christ died for his faith, when I know that all the apostles died for their faith, when I know that the majority of dedicated Christians throughout the first 1,600 years in this world died for their faith, troubles, when troubles come your way, if you know going into the game, trouble is coming your way, you're ahead of the ball game. If you know when you get up and you leave your house that there is a very strong likelihood that trouble is going to come your way, then you are ahead of the game because you know what's coming. And when you know what's coming, you can stay prepared for it. The worst place to be is in that place people find themselves in my office. Pastor God, I don't know why. I just don't know why. I just, it's like everything's not perfect in my life and all my kids aren't perfect. And I don't know why. It's just like life seems difficult. What? That, that's blown you back. That's thrown you for a loop. You just realize that relationships are difficult and raising children is difficult. Living in a world where people can't drive is difficult. People cut you off and shoot you a bird and you don't understand that being around crazy people is hard. The scripture declares to us that we should not be ignorant concerning the schemes of the devil. In some translations, it says the wiles of the devil. But that word scheme and that word wiles come from the same Greek word, which means strategy. And as men, which is the the paradigm that I have, we understand uh, strategy best either through war or sports. All right. Now, in America, football is the dominant sport. I'm more of a baseball guy, but I love football. So let's think about it in football. Football doesn't have just one coach. Football has many coaches. The, the, the three biggest coaches are the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the defensive coordinator. From there, they have offensive line coaches, defensive line coaches, defensive back coaches, running back coaches, receiver coaches. But the three big coaches are the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the defensive coordinator. And every week, The offensive coordinator has to look at the team he's playing and study their strengths on defense to see how he can exploit them. Because if I'm the offensive coordinator and I'm playing Deacon Jimmy's team Sunday and I know that his team is built to stop the run, I've got a balanced offense because I wasn't stupid in my drafting. I I picked a balanced offense so I could attack any defense. He's loaded up. He puts eight people in the box, and he dares people to beat him with the pass. He puts eight, he puts eight people in the box, and he just shuts the run down. Am I going to run the ball against him on Sunday, or am I going to pass the ball against him? I'm going to do a lot of misdirection. He's going to be behind a line of scrimmage coming my way. I'm going to dump it off in the flat, and they're going to go 80 yards and score every time. Why? Because I learned how to study the strategy of my opponent. And this is what happens. Pitchers. Study, I I was a catcher my whole life, 13 years catching. And 
We studied opposing batters. Pitchers are supposed to study opposing batters. Catchers study everything. That's why the majority of managers in baseball are catchers, former catchers. Am I right? Catchers dominate the managerial position because they're, they're the most intellectual player on the field. They have to study and they have to know. That's why the catcher tells the pitcher what to throw every pitch against the batter that he's facing. And that's why when the pitcher shakes the catcher off too many times, the catcher does like this. Give me a second. And walks out to the mound and says, look, dude, I'm going to put that two down one more time, and you're going to throw this curveball because he cannot hit it. Now do what I say. And he, the reason why that happens is because they have done a good job scouting their opponent. I want you to know the devil has done a good job scouting you. He knows what your hot buttons are. He knows your weaknesses. Every one of us have different weaknesses. Every one of us are, have different proclivities to do something wrong. It's not in me to do certain things. It just isn't. There, there's, there's just no way that certain things would ever be me. They weren't me before Christ. They're certainly not going to be me after Christ. That could very well be a stronghold in someone else's life. There could be some things that are traps and tricks for me that I fall into that you don't fall into. The devil knows your weakness. That's why... I don't go to the fair anymore. I love the Greater Jacksonville Agricultural Fair. I grew up going to the Greater Jacksonville Agricultural Fair. If you grew up in Jacksonville, you should know the answer to this. What is the greatest thing about the fair? The food. Just smelling sausage dogs as you're paying to get in. Are you kidding me? Just smelling funnel cake as you walk by. There ain't nothing like fair food. But here's what happened. Jacksonville is filled up with ignorant rednecks. And they love the fair too. Because guess what kind of singers they bring to the fair every night? Hold down singing hillbillies. And so I go to the fair, and you can see them coming. Uh, because they're all about five foot six. And they got on flannel shirts and long john under it with the white sleeves hanging up and the flannel shirts rolled by. Some little five foot six, 20 year old punk bump into me and, and they look at me like, what? What? I got post traumatic stress disorder. I'm combat trained and I got a short fuse. This is not a good scenario for Mr. Crazy Redneck Boy right now for me to put 215 pounds of pain on him, but I know God don't want me beating people up at the fair. Local pastor, arrested, snatched larynx out of 20-year-old idiot. This is not a good look for our church. So, guess who don't get a sausage dog? Guess I don't get funnel cake. My kids have never been to the Greater Jacksonville Agricultural Fair, and I hate that. Why? Because they got good food. The smell's better than the food. Uh, listen, that sausage dog will hurt you. Leave that alone. Get the funnel cake. That sausage dog will hurt you if you load it up. Let's get back into the Bible and stop being silly. But trouble's going to come your way. You need to know what type of trouble's coming your way. Everybody doesn't. I, I saw in a Christian magazine this lady who has a ministry to strippers. I think that's awesome. She was a former stripper. She got saved, loves the Lord, lives for God wide open. And she takes care baskets to strip joints. And she finds out about strippers, and some of these strippers are single mothers, and some of them have kids, and she finds out about their life, and she brings them good food because some of these strippers are strung out. 
and they don't eat good food. And so she, she goes into these strip joints and she ministers to these strippers. That's an awesome ministry. Now, if you're a dude, I mean all dude, you probably don't need to volunteer to go with her on Saturday night to her ministry. Because you probably, if you're 100% man, don't, you're probably going to be paying more attention to what, what's going. You, you, yeah, we're going in there to witness. No, that lady's going in there to witness. You're going in there to witness what's happening. She's witnessing the souls. You're witnessing what's going on on stage. Okay? If there are people who are former alcoholics who have ministries to uh, bars in their neighborhood. And they get to know people in the bar. And they share Christ with them. That's awesome. If you are a struggling alcoholic, if you know that you, you can't control your moderate drinking, you probably don't need your ministry to be in the bar. Are you following me? There's just certain common sense things we need to understand. You need to steer clear of what tricks you. You need to steer clear of what traps you because trouble's going to come your way. People hate that, though. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think any well-adjusted, balanced human being wakes up and says, I'm so excited about today because I'm going to have lots of trouble in my life. And, whoa, I'm pumped up. It's going to be a bad day. It's going to be a bad day. Trouble's coming. You are not well-balanced mentally if that's how you approach life. So you got to figure out, okay, God, trouble's coming my way. You want me to understand what, what helps me and what hurts me succeed in, in your word. So I'm going to put on the armor of God. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to stay clothed in God's armor. I'm not going to be led by my emotions because I'm going to be girded with the belt of truth. I'm going to tuck my emotions inside this, the word of God, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to be led by your word and not by my emotions. How, how, how is all this trouble going to help me? Well, he goes on to tell you. When trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, great, we live in a time where information is so readily available. We live in a time of such genius people. Uh, I mean, they, you know, these smart people, they keep reproducing smart kids who keep reproducing smart kids, and there's so much great written information out there, and, and there are people out there that are writing books that explain stuff so well, and I see a lot of people writing books and explaining this very passage and, and really try to get the point out consider problems, stop considering problems as problems and start considering them as, guess what, opportunities. You want to see difficult things in your life, not so much as a problem for you, but an opportunity for you to have what? Great joy. See, now we're studying the Bible together. Now we're learning something. So when you get up, when you leave this place today, when we leave here in a few minutes, Guess what? Trouble's going to come your way. I already know, and I have to position in my mind, between here and my house, there's a very good chance that somebody is, is, is going to do something silly on 103rd Street. There's a wreck on 103rd Street every time I come to work. I, I see somebody, uh, ambulance, wreck, pulled over cars. Uh, I, I know, see, because I don't like people weaving their little Toyota Prius at my almost 7,000-pound Lincoln Navigator. That makes me want to play, just play bumper cars. Anybody remember bumper cars? At the fair, I love bumper cars because, you know, I'm probably more willing to take the collision than the average bear. So I'm just coming at you wide open. And I have to gear my, when I get behind the wheel, I have to yield my thoughts to God. 
because I don't like silly drivers, okay? You say, well, Pastor, you need help with that. Yes, I do. But I know what I need help with. I know what the trick is. I know where the trouble's coming from. And if I yield my thoughts to God, then I can just, when it happens. God, you gave me an opportunity right here to choose the right way, and I'm glad I chose the right way. Um, <laughs> I don't even want to tell you about a, a driving incident, but I'm going to keep going. But I don't know what gets to you, but you need to consider it more of an opportunity than a problem. Because here's what you need to have. You need to get to this point in life. I don't know how often you get to this point. You need to know that there was a time in your life where God made a change in your life. That's called the new birth. You need to know that there's an old you that was you before you became a Christian and a new you that is the you that God is building today. The way you used to be should be different. The Bible talks about going from death to life, from darkness to light, from old to new. Put off the old, put on the new. This is the life that you should be able to understand. The way you used to be, the way you used to view things, the way your mind used to be, the language you used to speak, the life you used to live, the morality you used to possess, all being replaced in this newness of Christianity. And here's what you need to experience as often as possible because it is an opportunity for great joy. When somebody does something, when a problem presents itself to you and you are able to respond totally against your old nature and totally properly according to God's word, you ought to get this feeling that says, man, I thank God. I know I'm saved right now because if I wasn't saved, that would have happened a whole different way. Anybody ever felt that? You ever had, you ever had that moment where you, you just know if I wasn't saved for real, ah, hallelujah. Now, that's when you really want to go into rejoicing. That's when you really want to give God praise and, and think, well, I, this is incredible. This is so great. I know God's real in my life, and I know he's working because I would have handled that completely different a few years ago. That's great joy. This is what the Bible wants you to have. When, when these troubles come your way, don't look at them as problems, difficulties. Look at them as an opportunity for you to choose God. It's like the person that says, somebody got in my face, so I gave him a piece of my mind. Well, Philippians 2.5 says that we should have the mind of Christ guiding us. Wouldn't it be better instead of giving someone who gets in your way a piece of your mind, wouldn't it be better to give them some of God's mind? That's an opportunity for great joy because then you can sit back and say, I did something right. I made my father happy. I honored my heavenly father by doing what he would have me to do versus what I would choose to do on my own. Let's look at verse 3. For you know, we should know. Say should know. We don't all know, but we should know that when your faith is tested, okay, here's this comma again. And it's in an unusual place again. So there's some grammatical strangeness in chapter 1 going on. But it's all for the purpose of making the point. For you know that when your faith is tested, come. Why, okay, so there's got to be a pause there. You've got to try to figure out what is this little phrase trying to say to me. So what is this phrase trying to say to you, Christian? Your faith is going to be tested. God is trying to get you to understand. Don't freak out. Don't freak out when you go through difficulty. Don't freak out when life's not going your way. Don't freak out and look to jump out of the plane at every bump in the road. You're not supposed to be driven and tossed by every wind of false doctrine. You're not supposed to be bounced around. You're supposed to be secure on solid ground, set on a rock. 
people get so blown back by every day. I don't know why the devil's messing with me. Because the Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And until you resolve in a resolute fashion, I shall not be moved. Ever. I shall not give up on my faith ever. I won't stop reading the Bible. I won't stop praying. I will never stop serving God. I will never stop giving. I will never stop having any other worldview than a biblical worldview. If you are shakable, you will be shook. Because everything in the Bible says if you can be shaken, you will be shaken. So God's trying to remind you and re-remind you. He says this throughout all of Scripture. Think about what the Apostle Peter said. Count it not strange. Count it not a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, listen, which is to try you. He didn't say which might try you or which will only try bad Christians and all the good Christians will have bank accounts full of money and never have an issue. Trouble's coming. Trials are coming. But it's an opportunity for you to succeed. And when you choose God's way over what you know is your way, that's, that's joy on the inside. He said, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to grow. Okay? Hermeneutical principle. Laws. Governing concepts that help you interpret Scripture properly. The law of inference. For everything that is said, there are often things that are inferred. I tell my kids, you move one more time, I don't say anything else. I inferred a whole lot. They, and they, because they know me, they know everything I inferred. They know, they know I didn't say don't move. I said you move one more time. They could take that as a command and start moving because I told them move one more time. But they don't because they know what's inferred when I tell them move one more time. They understand inference. We need to understand inference. We need to know God so well. We need to understand God's word so well that when we read something, we understand what he is inferring. So through the law of inference, your endurance has a chance to grow when your faith is tested. So if your faith is not being tested, guess what's happening to your endurance? It's not growing. Well, let me tell you why that's a bad, a bad issue. Because the Bible says all God's promises are to those who endure. You get that? All God's promises are to those who endure. If we get to verse 5 tonight, we're going to find out. Uh, or we get to verse 6 tonight, we're going to find out. You don't get anything iffy with God. You don't get anything wishy-washy with God. Up and down, in and out, trying for a week, falling off, trying for a month, falling off, in, out, up, down, good days, bad days. If you're not consistent, if you don't endure, then you're not going to walk in his abundance. All God's promises are to those who endure, the scripture says. So we got to learn to strengthen our endurance so that we can finish the race. Paul was so happy at the end of his life because he knew he finished his race. I have a race to run. My path is laid out before me by a holy and a sovereign God. You have a race to run, and your path is laid out before you by a holy and a sovereign God. I have different obstacles than you have. You have different obstacles than I have. I have to run my race. You have to run your race. But this race must be finished. Because anybody can start a thing, but God wants you to finish a thing. And he said that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. If you have no endurance, you will not last. 
You, you know, if you decided right now you were going to run the, what's that Donna Hicking thing? That, that breast cancer run? Is that a full marathon or half? I don't know. Anyway, if you decided you were going to run 26.2, if you decide, even if you decided you were going to run a five-mile race and you'd never run before, you think you just go out and buy a brand-new pair of running shoes that you've never put on your feet before and you try to put five miles on those shoes the first day you never tried to run a mile before? Is that the way you're going to do it? Is that how you're going to approach it? No, you're not ready for that. You, 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 you get a pair of shoes, you break them in. You get comfortable walking in them. You start building up your cardio. You start building up your endurance. And then as time passes by, you realize, I'm running five miles now. I wish, I wish James was in the room. James Gillard is a marathoner, Amber's husband. And it's incredible. This dude is in such great cardio shape. He runs in the summer in Jacksonville down concrete sidewalks and streets with a 45-pound weight vest on in 98-degree weather. That doesn't even seem humane to me. I mean, that sounds like something you ought to do, to, you know, right before you execute somebody for the death penalty. I, I mean, that just sounds like the indecent, in, inhumane torture. But he has a high level of endurance. Now, if you, go, if you ask James, James, teach me how to run. I want to be able to run like you. He wouldn't say, okay, well, put my weight vest on and go out on Blanding and run 15 miles in 98-degree weather and talk to me when you're done. You have to build up to it. You ought to have somebody you admire in the Christian faith. You ought to have somebody that you, you see things in that you want to emulate. The Apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, follow me as I follow Christ. For you to see me live, this is Christ living. You ought to have somebody that you say, I want something that she has. I see something in him that I want. Well, they didn't get it overnight. No one that you could ever respect got any virtue overnight. They had to build to it. They had to be strengthened in it. They, they had to grow into it. O only Christ came into the world perfect. Everyone else has to learn, and everyone else has to grow and move into their destiny. And your endurance needs a chance to grow so that you can walk in all the blessings that God has for you. But if you're complaining about every adversity, if every adversity knocks you off your perch, and you got to start back over at ground zero again, that's not your endurance growing. That's just you failing. And God doesn't want you to fail. Verse 3 says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Verse 4, so let it grow. Comma. So what do you do when you see a comma in the Bible? You pause. You pause and do what? You think about what was just said. And you try to figure out what it means to you. And you try to apply it to your life. So he's constantly already in these first three verses just told you, your faith's going to be tested, your faith's going to be tested, you're going to have troubles, uh, there's going to be opportunities to grow, it's going to strengthen your endurance. It, when, when you have these opportunities, it, it's going to strengthen your endurance, your endurance is going to grow, so let it grow. Okay? That's the command. Let's talk about inference. If God commands you to let it grow, should you let it grow? Do like this. But there's something inferred there because he's telling you to let it grow. Why would he have to tell Christians? Because this book is written to my brothers and sisters. This book is written to believers. Why would God have to tell his faithful children who love him and have already been transformed from darkness to light? Why would he have to tell them to let it grow? Because we don't want it to grow. Why don't we want it to grow? Because we don't want to suffer for anything. 
We don't want to go through anything. We don't want to have hardship. We don't want to have trials. And the thing that's inferred when he tells you to let it grow, you, you could obey him and do that, or you could what? Not. Now, if we had the time and the honesty in the room tonight, and I could go and, and I, could, I could start with Nancy and work all the way around the room and ask you, would you like to have some real difficult circumstances come your way this week? Well, I mean, would you really like some challenges to come your way so that your faith would be tested and your endurance could grow? Would you just like to let that grow in you? The normal, honest, well-balanced, emotionally functioning people would say, I've had enough this week. I, I need about, I, I'm just serious. The average human being in America just needs three good days. You do not need medication for all that stuff. People are taking medication. You just need three good days. Three good days where nobody messes with you. Where you don't eat or drink anything that upsets your body. And when you get good sleep three nights in a row. If you had three good days where you didn't have nobody stressing you, you got good sleep and, and, and food and nothing upsets you internally, you'd be on reset 100. So most people would answer this, no, Pastor, I, I, not this week. Catch me up, you know, next week. I'm probably going to say no then, but, you know. Most people do not want their endurance to grow at the price of difficulty. Most people don't want to honor God at the price of suffering. Most people don't want to honor God at the price of having to give up what you want to obey what he says. But this is the word of the Lord. He said, let it grow. Stop complaining every time you fall in the ditch. Look for the lesson. Look for the lesson. Look for the opportunity. See what God is trying to tell you. See what God is trying to teach you. Because one of the things I don't like about God, <gasps> I'm being honest. God is so loving, so gracious, and so determined to better his children, he does something that I would prefer he did differently. Now, fortunately, he's not beholden to me. But God will give you a test. I'll stay with me because this, this, I don't like this. God will give me a test. I fail it. Okay, let, let, hang that F on me and let's keep riding. Okay, knock my grade down. My grade goes from a 93 to a 71. I, I'm cool. Let's just keep riding. But that ain't how God works, and I don't like it. But he's so gracious, and he's so determined that we learn the lesson. Guess what God gives you when you fail a test? Say retest. You know them teachers that give you a retest? Why are you going to give me a retest? I had a 32 on that. What do you think? You're a teacher for a living, right? If some kid just scored 18 on that test, you're like, Johnny, I, 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 I'm a gracious teacher. I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you, Johnny, look at you like, I didn't know nothing on that test, a retest, well, you want me to score lower? I don't like a retest. If I scored a 30 on it the first time, it's a pretty good chance I'm going to score probably 20 on it the second time. But God gives the retest, and I don't like it. Because I have failed the same test. Over and over and over again, many times. Anybody with me or I'm on an island by myself? All right. You better understand, when you're failing that test, you don't just get to take it. You just don't get to, you just like, let's, let's move on to the next one. No. Uh-uh. 
That's not getting factored into your grade because God is about growing you. You know what happens when you're growing? It can be painful. Now, see, my kids, I, I, don't, I don't know what kind of growth spurt they're going to have, but I've seen some kids. I, I, I'm sure your girls, Jeff, uh, had, some, had some growing pains in life as fast as they grew. Um, and, and I hear these, these really tall children talk about having, you know, when you're in one of those fast growth spurts, having growing pain, it can hurt to grow. You're being stretched. Something's stretching you that you're not controlling. This is God's will for your life to stretch you. It's not always comfortable, but it's necessary. So if you know there's a test that you keep failing, just man up, woman up, and decide, I'm going to pass. I have to pass this test so I can move forward because God is too gracious to, to let you just keep failing it. So you got to let it grow. You can't just lay down and say, I can't pass this test. You got to let this thing, you got to let it work itself out. Stop freaking out when trouble comes. Stop whining and moaning about it. Stop wishing you were in a different place. If only, if only, if only. Listen, woulda, coulda, shoulda is going to lead you into depression, death, and just being alone. Stop thinking about what woulda happened, what coulda happened, or what shoulda happened, and deal with what is. Now, that's the best psychological statement you're going to get for the rest of your life. If you would stop living in Woodaville, Coulaville, or shouldaville, and you start really allowing God to deal with you where you are, you're finally going to be able to make some progress. Stop telling yourself, if I would have only, or if this would have only, or if that would have only. That's a hard lesson to learn. When my wife died, she was 36 years old, left me with two small children. You don't think that, that the devil wants me every minute of every day to wonder what my life would have been? If I would have had her by my side for these last 10 years, you don't think the devil wants me to stay stuck in how, how my children would have, would have been more well-balanced if they would have had a kind, sensitive, loving Christian mother? These are the tricks of the devil to try to sidetrack you, to distract you. He cannot stop you, but he can slow you down. He cannot halt you, but he can hinder you you got to make a desperate determination to say, I am going to embrace the place that God has me. This is my life. I do not get a do-over. There is no mulligan. I can't change the past. It doesn't matter what would have, could have, or should have been. It is what an IS is. So get on with it and deal with today. Deal with the reality. Get out of what if. And just say, God, this is where I am, and I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you on the mountain, and I'm going to praise you in the valley. I'm going to praise you on top, and I'm going to praise you when I am drowning. Because you got to let it grow. you got to embrace the place that you're in. you got to grab hold of these problems, and you got to make them opportunities so you can grow. Because God wants you to grow. God wants to strengthen your muscles. And the only way you can strengthen your muscles is to use them and to let them tear down and build them back up. For when your endurance is fully developed, comma, when your endurance is fully developed, once again, not a natural literary comma right there because the thought isn't really developed in between those commas if you look at it from a grammatical perspective. When your endurance is fully developed, what? I mean, if, you're, if I'm reading that, I'm thinking, grammatically, when my endurance is fully developed, what? But I know God doesn't want me to get to the what because he wants me to see something inside that phrase. 
what can I see, what can I learn from God telling me when my endurance is fully developed? Anybody? What's that? It's not developed yet? But eventually it will. It's being developed. We're getting there. And this is where you ought to be able to put, put a little pep in your step. This is where you ought to get a little, a little bit of hope in your stride. When, when you can know, I'm not everything I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm not all the way there yet, but I'm moving in the right direction. I didn't handle it the way I should have handled it, but I handled it better than I could have handled it. And you know, hey, I'm not fully developed, but I'm coming. I hope you're coming. I hope you're moving in the right direction. I hope that you are developing. Guess what you need for you to develop as a Christian? Trials. Woo! Let's go embrace trials. Man, don't you just hope somebody burns your house down tonight and gives you an opportunity? Don't you just hope you get in a car wreck, end up in a bed with tubes sticking out of you, drooling on yourself tonight, just to have an opportunity? Of course not. Some of y'all, ex-veterans or current vets, you ought to want to be developed. You want to grow. But it takes stretching. It takes trials. It takes difficulty. It takes holding on to God in a storm. This false teaching that's out there, come to Jesus and everything will be all right. That's, that's, that's just a lie. Come to Jesus. And you can have eternity in paradise. The disciples came to Jesus. Well, what's, what's the two words that Jesus said to the disciples in the beginning of, of their following him? What, what did he tell them? Follow me. What did they do? They followed him. They were following Jesus. They had Jesus on their hip. They're in a boat where half of them were professional fishermen that knew that lake better than anyone. They got Jesus on their hip. Now, the current preaching, if you got Jesus in the boat with you, you ain't got no problems. You ain't got no struggles. Everything's going to be easy greasy. You're just going to sail right through life, and, you know, everything's going to be wonderful. Jesus in the boat, biggest storm they ever saw came up. Biggest storm these professional fishermen ever saw so much to the point where they feared for their life and they were sure they were going to die. Well, Jesus was with them. Isn't that supposed to make everything all right? No, because he wants you to go through storms. Why? Not because he's mean. Because he knows it will cause you to hold on to him more. And that's what he wants. Stop trying to fix your own problems and grab hold of God. Stop trying to change the ditch that you're in. And serve him in the ditch. Love him in the ditch. Praise him in the ditch. And let him lead you out. Because you're going to grow. Your endurance is being developed. And when that happens, you're going to be perfect and complete. Some theologians have problems with that word perfect. These theologians are shallow as a thimble. It's not talking about sinless perfection. There is no sinless perfection. Experiential learning teaches that. There's never been one person outside of Jesus who became sinless. It's not saying you're going to be perfect in a means that you never sin again. The Bible says all of sin to come short of God's glory. 
the story of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews tells us that they were liars and whoremongers and adulterers and cowards and families riddled with incest and all types of debauchery. When he says you'll be perfect, you'll be what he wants you to be. You'll be complete. You'll be what you were designed to be. It's like when, it's the funniest thing I get to see as a pastor is new birth. So I was there when both my boys were born. I didn't play catcher because I ain't trying to see all that. I, I played head rubber. I'm at the top. I'm, not, I'm at the head, not the feet. The sermon for a different day. And so I've been at friends, church members, birth of their children. And you know what somebody in the room says when they hold that baby? That little baby boy, that little baby girl. She's just so perfect. And I'm thinking, looks like an alien to me. Scrunched up face, ears bent. The, the, you know they use the tongs because the head's all like this. Um, yeah, that's perfect. You look at something you love and you call it perfect because you're well pleased with it. How would you really feel? If you thought that God could look down from heaven and see you and say, you're just perfect. You're just what I want you to be. You look just how I want you to look, and I'm so proud of you. My kids understand that you don't win brownie points with God from obedience, and you can't work your way into heaven, and salvation is by faith. It's the grace of God that allows us salvation and not our works. But Jake prays every night because Jake's a competitive dude. I pray with my sons every night when I put them to bed. And he prays every night that God would help him to make good choices so that he could make his mom proud and make God proud and make his dad proud. And I've explained to him, son, you don't have to do anything. It's not works. You can't earn my love by being a good boy. You can't earn God's love by being a good boy. But he just wants to know. He wants me to know that he's working hard at doing what I tell him to do. And I believe every good Christian wants our Heavenly Father to be pleased with our life. If you love your parents at all, you want them to know, I'm trying to be who you want me to be, Dad. I'm trying to honor you, Mom, with my life. And that's that perfection that God is talking about, where he can look at you and say, you are my child. And you are complete, and you don't lack anything. This only comes through embracing trials and allowing God to grow your faith, to grow your endurance. Stop looking for a way out and just start loving him where you are. If you'll love him where you are, he'll guide you to a way out. The Bible says that the word is a lamp unto our feet. And a light unto our path. See, we live in 2017. You can go in any automotive store and buy a Q-beam handheld spotlight. They used to be corded. Now you can get them battery operated. Little, 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 little uh, light you hold in your hand. Spotlight you hold in your hand. If you flick the button on, it'll shine from here to Middleburg. That's what Christians want. They want, God, let me see all the way down there what my life's going to be like. Because I want to know what's going to happen. 
way down at the end of the road. But God didn't say that his word was a spotlight. He said his word was a lamp to your feet. I would like to know what's life going to look like in five years. But God's not willing to show me that. The only way I can get a glimpse of what's going to happen in front of me, because if I'm holding that Coleman lantern, that lamp right here, it's only shining right here. The only way to get that light shine up there is for me to keep walking. And as I keep walking, that light moves forward. And I get greater revelation of what God has for me down the road. But if I lay my lamp down, I don't see anything other than what I'm seeing. Get your mind right and get to walking. Get your mind right and embrace where you are. Get your mind right and understand you only have one life to live and this is it. And you got to deal with where you are. You have to play the hand that you have. Last verse of Scripture. Last verse in Proverbs 16. One of my favorite days of the month. Every day I pull out a phrase out of the proverb of the day to try to focus on. I can never get past that one verse in Proverbs 16 because it sticks out to me so heavily. We are the ones who throw the dice, but God determines how they fall. Your job, believer, is to get up and just throw the dice the best way you can. Play the hand that you've got. If it comes up seven... Give him praise. If it comes up craps, give him praise anyhow. God's in control of what your tomorrow looks like. But you're in control of whether or not you praise him in your today. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be complete. He doesn't want you to lack. You've got to embrace this stuff. Consider it an opportunity. Maybe you're having a difficult marriage. Maybe you're having a difficult time with your children. Maybe you're having a difficult time financially. Maybe, maybe the devil is attacking you emotionally. I've been under this physical attack. I want it to go away. But I, I, I can't make it. i got to praise him where I am. Oh, it would be great if these liars on TV were telling the truth. Well, well, just curse it at its root. Show me that in the Bible. Just, just call it down, Reverend. Just, just blaspheme. Just curse it at its root and, and, and speak it into no, no existence. That's more voodoo than it is Christianity. Love him in the storm. Call out to him in the storm. The psalmist said, I called on the Lord in the moment of my distress, and he heard my cry and delivered me from all my afflictions. God has never delivered any living person from all their afflictions, but it feels like it when he delivers you from your current affliction. And you need to give God an opportunity in your trials and in your tests to build a God-honoring Christian testimony so that God can get glory in your life. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for being our teacher. Please reveal yourself to us in your word that we would know you better, that we would live lives that would honor you. Help us, God to love you more than we love ourselves and help us to love each other as you've commanded us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. 
If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.